0: This is an AMI podcast. In late April of 2018, AMI was invited to join a group of journalists to observe Access Israel's 6th Annual International Conference on Innovation and the Future of Accessibility. As a result, throughout the month of June in this time slot, AMI-audio is pleased to present four half-hour programs which reveal some of the highlights of the conference and related activities. You'll hear from people behind social startups that have resulted in improving accessibility through technology, in creating meaningful employment, and in improving lives of war veterans. My name is Andy Frank, and this is Access Israel, making the business case for accessibility and inclusion. Access Israel was established nearly 20 years ago by Yuval Wagner, an Air Force combat pilot who was injured in a helicopter crash in 1987. He soon realized the lack of accessibility in his country for people with disabilities, so he started the advocacy group in 1999. Its main mission is to promote accessibility and inclusion to improve the quality of life of people with disabilities and for the elderly. Yuval Wagner won the Rick Hansen Foundation Difference Maker Award in 2011. Importantly, Access Israel also aims to share its knowledge and experience regarding accessibility widely so that countries from all over the world can learn from them and maybe implement similar solutions. And that's where we come in. Our first stop in this audio journey takes us to an industrial zone of the fourth-largest city in Israel, Rishon LeZion, and to a unique call center that goes by the name of Call Yahal. Yahal can be translated as either can or able, and as you'll soon hear from this informal audio TED Talk style piece by its founder, Dr. Gil Winch, the name is no accident. Call Your Hall is a for-profit social business that hires mostly individuals with disabilities. And its success over the past 10 years has inspired dozens of delegations from around the world to observe it. Here is Dr. Winch's story in an episode we title, Better Call Your Hall.
1: When I was 40, doctors informed me that I have a incurable form of cancer. And they said I have maybe two, three, four years at the most. What it got me thinking was that in order to be, uh, I I wanted to to volunteer to be the first person to survive with this cancer. And I realized that if I want to do something that's a bit out there, I need to actually do things that are a bit out there. And until that time, I had a a consulting firm, and I I was married, I still happily married, but my life was just going along the regular path, and I decided to do two things to to see if they can combat sort of the bad news I got, and one was, uh, I thought I was like athletic and in, in shape, but I was 40, and I was not athletic, and I was not in shape. So I I decided to start running uh, a lot, and I I still run every day, and it's it's been very good for me, and it it helped me. You know, the people that discover in the middle of their life that they're good at sports, that wasn't the case here, I'm not good at it. I just run every day, and it, it keeps me healthy. But the second thing I wanted to do was find something social, myself and my wife could address, which was a big need as far as we could see, but could be addressed without being rich. We're just a regular family. And uh, Yuval Wagner, whom you all know, uh, his kid went to school with my kid, and we were friends, and he kept on telling me that disabled people are really unemployed in Israel. And when I started looking into it back then, I found out that not only are they unemployed in Israel, but they're severely disabled. The people that get pensions because they're severely disabled not only are horribly unemployed worldwide, not even considered a group, pretty much anywhere. There's not really good statistics about them. Wheelchair bound is a group, blind is a group, cognitive disabilities is a group. Just getting a pension because you're disabled, that ain't a group. But when I heard about the amount of unemployment in Israel, it really didn't make sense to me because it hasn't changed that much. About 90% unemployment. And it didn't make any sense because 40% of the severely disabled are emotionally disabled. A lot of them take medication, they're compliant with the medication, You'll never know they're disabled. There's no good reason for them to be out of work. People in a wheelchair, no good reason for them to be out of work. People who are legally blind but with software can still see this, the computer screen. There's no reason. When you start looking at the numbers, it doesn't hang up. Why are the poorest among us, from a, a, a physical standpoint, Why are they the most disabled, and why are they the most unemployed? And being the most unemployed, we're bringing upon them like another two catastrophes. Not only is your mind or body or both at a sink, but now you're going to be horribly poor because in Israel, pensions are about half of minimum wage. So they're the poorest amongst the poor, and when you have nowhere to go in the morning, so you're like the most isolated. So we've taken people who are the worst off, and now we've made them the poorest and the most isolated amongst us. And it just didn't make sense. It didn't seem that their state, whatever it was, stands behind these numbers. It didn't add up. So we started doing something. We started looking for certain information on the internet. Couldn't find it any, anywhere. So we started creating it. And we started uh, interviewing severely disabled people, anybody who we could find. And they were, we ordered them out of, out of work. We interviewed them and their families. And we started mapping out why are they working? And some of it was things they said, and some of it was things that they didn't say, but we thought this is the true circumstance. Not everybody can point out the true circumstance. And we started mapping it. We started, we, we, it was a few people, then it was tens, and then it was the hundreds. And the more people we talked to, um, the more the reasons started grouping into three major groups, that these people are out of work, none of them to do with them, by the way, but we realize that there are three strong major groups that if they are not addressed, I'll tell you about them in a sec, then they'll stay out of work. And by the way, it was, it was amazing to me that I have yet to find anybody who's done that kind of a mapping sort of thing. Nobody anywhere. I can't, can't find it anywhere. But it's already been, I mean, we've been doing it, we continue doing it, so now it's in the thousands already, and we're very strong on in our, in our beliefs of what the true reasons are. I'll just, very briefly, I'll give you the three... Uh, Groups of reasons one of them was operational stupid operational reasons, and I'll just give a few different examples Guys who are doing dialysis can only come in to work twice or two and a half days a week because they're in hospital doing dialysis uh, Three days a week so nearly any any employer will say oh you can only work two and a half days Don't bother coming in because this is a five-day sort of job So we don't want you or people with certain uh, emotional uh, problems their medication makes it tough for them to wake up in the morning. I remember that even as a clinical psychologist. And they can't make it at 8, which is where most people in Israel start work. They can make it at 9, 9.30, 10. And the minute they tell an employer they can make it at 10, the employer says, well, don't bother, because we start at 8. Or we have a large group of women here who have been horribly abused, and they just can't take a male manager. And most people won't go to the effort to start changing around the management, in their companies will be just females So they but it's stuff like that. One group was operational stuff like that, but a bit of goodwill and you know a bit of give and take and and you can figure it out. So that was one group of reasons, the operational stuff. And I just gave a few examples. Second group was if you're earning fifty percent of minimum wage, then you have life problems. Your your bank account is foreclosed. Uh, uh, you got beat up again and you haven't got where to sleep at night, There's, you haven't got money for the dentist to put the teeth back in your mouth after the puppy beat you up again. Stuff like that, life problems, and nearly all of them have them, and we decided that we have to, we're not going to be rich, but we have to find a way to alleviate the life problems. But the biggest reason, the third major reason, the most important of all of them, was the emotional... We're talking about people whose whole lifetime is one big rejection. When you've been rejected your whole life, or for many, many, many years, what that creates was the biggest obstacle people had in getting back to work. And and work in Israel, and this is true uh, worldwide, especially in Israel, where the workplace is a place where you have a Middle Eastern temperament going on, Uh, voices can be raised and uh, they they just crumble and and they don't make it. And that was the biggest reason we actually thought was was keeping people out of work. We decided we wanna try and change the world regarding the employment of people with disabilities. And in order to do that, we put together a two-step program. The first step was prove to the world that people with severe disabilities, the pension receivers, can attain regular productivity pretty much doesn't matter what their disability is. You need to prove it because the world is operating under the assumption that the severely disabled can't attain regular productivity, so they need foundations or they need to stay at home. We decided to build a for-profit business. However, we decided to build a call center. Because people are cynical, if I just build a regular business and I say, look, regular productivity, someone will come and say, yeah, but you're saying it's regular, but it's not really, and we measured. And call centers, everything is measured. Every one is measured, every hour, every minute is measured, so there will be no argument, are we as productive as anybody else, because we'll be doing what, that many other regular teams will be doing, so there will be a sort of a part of will show that we are as productive as other teams. So we thought we'd build, we'd build a full-profit call center business where most, most started out nearly 100%, and now it's around 70%, most uh, employees staff, and management, not employees disabled, the regular not disabled, employees, staff, and management, are severely disabled individuals. Most have previously been out of work, and we figured if we can survive in the Israeli market, with that being our team, then we can prove to the world people with severe disabilities can attain regular productivity, and that will be half the way we need to go in order to change the world. There's another half I'll tell you about in a bit. So we started out with that idea. Now, those of you paying attention to the numbers, this whole thing took us about five years. So the doctor's premonitions about me uh, um, uh, uh, knocking off quickly weren't really, it was working as far as I, I was concerned. I did have widespread cancer all over. I had to, I had to hide it because I had lumps sticking out of me. I wasn't wasn't in any pain, I was like running marathons at that point, slowly. But I was actually finishing marathons at that point, and things were looking okay, and I I was busy doing and not dying. And we started out 10 years ago with a team of 15 people, and everybody after the course was supposed to do like eight calls an hour, and we were doing like two. (laughs) Because the legally blind who see part of the screen until they figure out where everything is, and other people until they get their confidence back, and other people, and people uh, work on average 100 hours, because that's what they can do, 100 hours of the month, so they're gaining, but half of the experience of other people who are working full-time, it's 180 hours in Israel. Um, but after a couple of months, we were like up to four, the other teams were, 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 they hit their top, and they were starting to lose, because lose ground, because they started their regular turnover, students and other people who come for a few months a year, and then they leave. And we had guys who were coming for the duration. And after four months, we were like as good as the other teams, which which took us like twice as much to catch up, but they were already declining and we were still getting stronger. So they said, you know what? Another team, you can have another 15 people. And we finished our first year with about 50 employees for one one, uh, call center service. And we started broadcasting and telling other people, you know, you should come and visit and see that this is possible. And maybe you'll want to hire us as well. So our model is based upon the fact that we need to cater to the three reasons I told you about. So we have special positions here. For instance, uh, we have someone who's called a lioness. She's called a lioness because, just like in nature, she needs to defend the cubs. And the cubs is everybody that's not me is considered a cub. And she helps them with life problems. They go to her and they say, this is a foreclosure in my bank account, and she'll find a lawyer pro bono to help them out. And they go to her and say, yeah, I got beat up again, I've got nowhere to sleep at night, and that can happen at 12 o'clock at night, by the way, and she'll find a hotel to take them in. We're, not, we're a very poor company, we're not rich enough to do anything, but there's a lot of good people surrounding us, and, and we have enough reach to, to, to find people to help our guys. So, Vanias nice is a really important part of our model. Uh, it could be the, the examples I gave you. We have, we have a, a pretty woman here with Usher syndrome. Usher syndrome, you get deaf and blind, Quite quickly? And we saw her moping around, and there's no moping here. You're not allowed to mope, or you're allowed to mope, but we'll be asking why. Um, And she said she she had a partner. They broke up, and the partner left with all her pictures. And she said, "I, I have no pictures of me in my prime, and I'm getting blind so quickly, I won't remember what I look like. Which is great for proportions, by the way. If you think you're having a bad day, there's one to, like, set you straight. I mean, that's, that's, not a, that's not a worry most of us are ever going to have. I won't remember what I look like. It's horrific if you think about it. And within a week, the lioness had a, a photographer, a, a makeup person, and she has her own book, and you can see her every now and then in the cafeteria, like, engraving uh, what she looks like. So it's a very widespread
0: vocation. That's Dr. Gil Winch of Kal Hall, located near Tel Aviv, Israel. Talia Hall is a for-profit social business that hires mostly individuals with disabilities and its success over the past 10 years has inspired dozens of delegations from around the world to observe it. AMI-audio was there in late April of 2018 and captured this impromptu TED-style talk by Dr. Winch. Listening to a special AMI audio presentation, the first of four over the next month in this time slot, titled Access Israel Making the Business Case for Accessibility and Inclusion. There's a lot more to creating a successful work environment for people with disabilities than simple accessibility. Dr. Winch mentioned the role of the Lioness, a safe non management outlet for his over 250 employees and that is part of the secure culture he has created at Kalya Hall, a business that sees four times less employee turnover than similar call centers in Israel. Dr. Winch goes on to tell us about the other subtle tools he uses to maintain a happy and productive atmosphere at Kahlia Hall.
1: We have a very tough creed for the managers, and lots of the managers are also the same. Um, And all our creed is parent-based. They're all double uh, sentences for parenthood and managing in order to, to ensure that they understand what we want. For instance, if, you if your four-year-old runs into the road and he gets run over and you're screaming at him, then you're not teaching him anything at the moment. You're just venting. The anger is the main message they're getting. They're not going to get the message. Likewise, in kol Yachol, you're not allowed to raise your voice or talk down in any fashion. It doesn't have to be loud. You're not allowed to talk down to anybody in any fashion. It doesn't matter who they are or who you are, especially if you're a manager here, you're not allowed to do that. And Sometimes we have people whose, uh, whose main disability is they make everybody around them crazy, and they're good at it. So it's not always easy for the managers who are also disabled like, to, to breathe really deeply and, 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 and not scream that because sometimes they're scream that, And we do an awful lot of training with the managers, explaining that they're screaming at authority and you just happen to be standing in the authority spot. It ain't personal. Anybody standing there would get, and that's what you have to tell yourself because otherwise it really feels personal. So there's a a tough creed that managers have to live by and they get an an awful lot of training on that creed. We have special screening processes because our screening doesn't want to see who can do the job. None of them can do the job at the moment. You want to see who can eventually do the job and can we cater to the things that need to be done so that they eventually can get to regular productivity. So the whole screening process is different. They start out as VIP guests, and they, we make them coffee, and we show them around as if they're VIP guests, and then they can bring anybody they want into the screening with them. And we always start off with giveaway exercises that everybody can do. So they start getting confidence, and, and we're busy not seeing if they can. We're busy seeing if they eventually can. And it's a totally different thing to look for that also means a lot of training for people to be able to look for that because we accept we did screening in the beginning with our customers and nobody passed so we told our customers yeah you're going to have to trust us on this one but we managed to be profitable enough to keep on growing and keep on trying to maintain uh, uh the social the social mission that that we're on basically so the sad story was sort of like the problems we have being a new idea we have we have this uh employee Um, who was, her story is she was raped as a kid, forced forced into marriage, uh, raped as a young wife, uh, became uh, uh, drug dependent, and the kids were taken away, a couple of kids were taken away, and she's been on the street for 40 years, literally on the street, never slept under a roof. In Jerusalem, it's cold there at night, in the winter, and she's been a drug addict and a prostitute for the past 40 years, and her story is that a couple of years ago, Two kids that grew up went to find their biological mother. They found her. They abducted her to the street. She didn't know who they were. They dried her out, and they found an amazing social worker. And at some point, they brought her here for employment. Now, with that resume, pretty much no one would, would like... She, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't get anywhere, right? Uh, so she works for an insurance company, and she's the best on the team. And she has 100% disability, emotional and physical, and she's decided... To give some kind of meaning to her life, her mission in life is going to be to get other women and girls off the street. Because as she says, I mean, you lose hope so quickly and so totally that anybody can say anything, you won't believe it, And but they
0: know me. Two years into the life of Colya Hall, Dr. Winch had a speaking engagement in Switzerland. He was on the same ticket as former President Bill Clinton. Afterwards, the world began to take notice of his unique call center.
1: Over 60 countries have come in the past eight years to visit, and you know where we are. Little, no windows, <laughs> a crappy building in, the in an industry area, but over 60 countries have come to see how this thing works, because along the way, out of the 100% disabled, it's now, I told you, it's 60 to 70%, and out of the people who are not disabled, it's mainly Arab women, single moms, people over the age of 60, an ex-con or two, we have the other wanting to come and work here. We don't manage who, who gets accepted, whoever turns up. We'll take, will always be over 50% disabled, but other than that, I don't manage it at all. It's just whoever wants to work here. And people really feel comfortable in this place. They feel comfortable being the other, the minority. They feel comfortable in being who they are. What happens to the people, because apparently they start using less medication. And they start and they use the welfare services less. And the government doesn't have to train them to do things because the government puts a lot of money in training and then people go home and don't have work after the training. So there's a lot of savings, financial savings. Plus, my personal religious beliefs are that this is our shot. And you've got to leave the room tidier than it was when you got in it. And for us, making the world more accessible for the employment of severe disabilities is leaving the room tidier. So that's sort of the mission we're on, so it all works together as far as we're concerned. So once, as far as we're concerned, we've proved that a wide range of severe disabled people can attain regular productivity. The second stage is to try and convince countries, organizations, to adopt the following model. And we call it handicap parking or disability parking, For employment. The whole world has got it when it comes to disabled parking. The whole world knows that you save a few of the closer parking spaces for people who don't have the option of parking further away and getting in the mall or the cinema or whatever. whatever, Right? I mean that makes perfect sense nowadays to everyone. Right? We say why don't we do the same thing for something slightly more important than parking, which is employment. For instance, some of you came from Meitav Dash. Meitav Dash has figured out we have 20,000 unemployed deaf people in Israel. But no one other than them, the Meitav Dash, seemed to think that you should keep a few of those jobs for the deaf people because they can do that at regular productivity and they have limited options. So let's keep a few of those jobs for them. We have one coffee uh, chain in Israel out of many that believes that people with Down syndrome um, clean tables as efficiently and in a smiley fashion as other people. And you can pay them regular wage. But it's only one chain. But if we know that's true, why do we have, like, I don't know, 15,000, 10,000, 15,000 permanently disabled people on the range that can actually work sitting at home and rotting? of the civilian disabled are sitting at home and running, and we've showed, for instance, that call center work is really accessible to a lot of them. If if you have a model that that can cater to the other needs, and it's not a big deal, you have 100,000 people doing call center work in Israel, but no one is saving the easier jobs or the more entry-level jobs for the disabled. But if we get it for parking, why don't we get exactly the same concept for occupation? You, You show me the disability, and I'll show you that they can attain regular productivity in certain kinds of jobs. And as a society, here, for a worldwide society, it's our obligation to say, just let me do the parking, don't have to change anything, just a few of those jobs, just a few, not all of them, to the people who have limited options. And if we did that, and we cater to one or two other needs, then we would have another in Israel, 50,000, 60,000 disabled people working. So if it makes sense Mm. for parking, it's got to make sense for occupation. And that's the second part of our mission, is to try and educate that the same principles we use when it comes to parking, we should use when it comes to employment. And it's not going to happen by legislature, because people will just, like, go around it. But if a few big companies start doing that, start it, start it as a practice, and more and more people add on, at some point it will become a norm. So The biggest bank in Israel, Bank of Pauline, which is, which is very beneficial to Nagishut as well, um, is working with us on, on finding what other things they can do and the bank of disabled people can do. The Israeli chief of police. The Israeli police force is the biggest organization in Israel. The Israeli chief of police is on board, and the police are looking at what jobs police force have that people with disabilities can do. And also the police have a lot of their own disabled people who are out of work. They, they lost their abilities in the police and now there's no work for
0: them. In closing, Dr. Winch tells us about the remarkable productivity and joy by Colya Hall and about some of the social benefits that many of his employees have enjoyed.
1: The average people work for us is five years and in the competition it's one year. So the attrition that people come for a career in Israel. I and mean, in Israel Port center work isn't considered a career, but here it is, and it's people's career. And you have people traveling three hours each direction just to get here, which is amazing if you think about it. Some of them just turn up even when they don't have a shift, because this is where their social life. Okay. We've had about two couples who met here, get married, which, like, I never I never managed to make it to the weddings. I, like, clear up, and I get to embarrass everybody, but I just can't take it. And there are a lot of other... that that, that people meet here.
0: You mentioned earlier about uh, productivity, two calls an hour versus eight calls an hour. Yeah. Where do you stand now?
1: Within six months to a year, we surpass regular teams by five to 10%. Because people do it for the career, for a career. And they take it horribly seriously because that's what they do. That's their gateway into a normal life. So they look at it so differently than the students and other people who come and do it part-time, and then they move along. They'll straighten the picture on the wall if they can see it. They'll they'll, they'll go the extra mile. You have a, there's, an, a lawful, there's a very warm feeling here. It's a parent model. Kids love when their parents come and see what they're doing, right? And mommy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. And employees usually don't like their manager to come and look over their shoulder at what they're doing. And you'll see when we walk around, everybody knows I'm the manager. But it's going to be a, a like... There going to be lots of smiles and no, no uh, fear or, or stairway reflex because it's a parental model, but managers here are a boon. They're an aide. They're something that you, you you go and get comfort from and not someone who's supposed to catch you doing something. There's a whole different vibe going on which we've worked very hard to create.
0: That was Dr. Gil Winch, the founder of Ya Hall, speaking to an international delegation of journalists in a small classroom at the call Center itself, located at Richon Lation, just a few kilometers from Tel Aviv. Better Call Yahal Hall was the first of four special programs on AMI-audio which document our visit to Access Israel's sixth annual conference, a trip which included visits to a number of unique venues like Call Yahal. Hall. Next week in this time slot on Access Israel, making the business case for accessibility and inclusion, we present the second of our four special broadcasts, which we've titled Social Startup Nation tech entrepreneurs pitch us one brilliant concept after another in a speed dating environment and you won't believe some of the ideas and demonstrations you'll hear plus we'll go to the big conference and introduce you to another unique call center the technology support helpline which provides customized support for low vision and blind Israelis as they navigate around their digital world thanks to all the fine folks at access Israel to the Embassy of Israel in Canada to the other members of our touring delegation and to my AMI colleague Elena Falcone for her invaluable all-around support and to Nick Lisk for his technical work on this broadcast. My name is Andy Frank.